Good morning. Let's go to the book of Amos, as we have been doing over the course of the past few weeks. Amos is uh, the book of the Bible that we are studying together as a church right now. We're going to be going to Amos chapter 5, and uh, if you don't have a Bible with us and you'd like to follow along, there are Bibles that are in the chair racks in front of you, and you can find the book of Amos on page 767 of those Bibles. 767 is where you will find Amos chapter 5, which has the text from which our sermon title is taken today. I want to start our thinking this morning with a quote from a book that will be familiar to some of you. Uh, The book is called The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer. Uh, Many of you have probably read that or are at least familiar with it. But this is a quote that I want to use to engage our thinking as we think about the subject matter that we want to discuss from God's Word this morning. Here's what Tozer says in this book. He says, when religion has said its last word, and here he's using the word religion in a positive way, to speak simply of our faith. He says, when religion has said its last word, there is little that we need other than God himself. The evil habit of seeking God and effectively prevents us from finding God in full revelation. In the and lies our great wealth. If we omit the and, we shall soon find God. And in him, we shall find that for which we have all our lives been secretly longing. I don't know about you, so I can say this as a personal testimony. I find it very difficult to, in the words of Tozer, omit the and. I am fine with pursuing God, but I am very skilled at pursuing God and. Because there are times when I am not sure that God is going to bring me the things that I want. There are times when it seems shaky when God is going to come through for me in areas of my life that I find difficult. There are fears that I have of the future, and most of us have backup plans when it comes to the future. It's difficult for us to omit the end. But as Tozer says, this prevents us from actually finding that for which our souls truly long. We think that that to find what our souls truly long for, we need to, yes, pursue God, but in case He doesn't come through, we need to pursue these other things. But in in the divided pursuit, in the double-minded pursuit, in the end, we actually get neither. To use the words of Tozer, 
When we admit the and, we shall soon find God. And in him we shall find that for which our lives have been secretly longing. Amos was sent to a people who found it difficult to omit the and. It was not that they had entirely turned their backs on God. Last week we talked about some of the problems with their worship, but there were problems with their worship. The problem was not that they failed to worship at all, but that their worship was actually displeasing to God because they were worshiping God and other deities. They were worshiping God and their material prosperity. They were not omitting the and. They were a people who had embraced several ways of living that rather than bringing them into a greater experience of life, actually uh, gave them a smaller experience of life, not only for them personally, but for the people around him who experienced their injustices. But Amos had a message for these people. And yes, this message is a message of judgment. It's one we've already seen a little bit as we've worked our way through the book. And when we, uh, when we have our next message in Amos, we're going to see that there is a lot of judgment, a lot of words of judgment that Amos has to speak to God's people. But amidst all that judgment, it was not too late for God's people to still pursue life. And not to pursue life the way they were pursuing it, but to pursue life in God. And so Amos delivers this message to God's people in Amos chapter 5. You might already be there. And if you're there in Amos chapter 5, look with me at verse 4. The word of the Lord says this, For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, Seek me and live, but do not seek Bethel. And do not enter into Gilgal or cross over to Beersheba, for Gilgal shall surely go into exile, and Bethel shall come to nothing. Seek the Lord and live, lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph, and it devour with none to quench it for Bethel. O you who turn justice to wormwood and cast down righteousness to the earth. You can see there two times, once in verse 4 and once in verse 6, that they are implored. Amos is the mouthpiece of God, imploring the people of God, seek me and live, seek the Lord and live, in spite of their refusal to omit the and. God was still issuing to them a gracious invitation to real life. And that invitation that Amos is issuing to them, he is still issuing to us today because it is just as true for us in 2020, is it four? Okay. Who knows? In whatever year it is, it still works. It's just as true it was in the time of Amos. And so this morning I'd like for us to just spend a little bit of time thinking about this truth, which is also very similar to the title of the sermon today, we are graciously invited to seek the Lord and live. You, this morning, are receiving an invitation from God himself to seek him and live. 
And I'd like us to spend some time reflecting on that this morning by asking three very simple questions that are answered in the book of Amos, but are also uh, in line, those answers of which are also in line with the New Testament and the rest of the scriptures. The first question I'd like to ask is this, what does it mean to seek the Lord? What does it mean to seek the Lord? Well, I don't think, and I think we can cross this one easily off off our lists, I don't think it is because God is lost. Furthermore, another option that we could cross off the list if we're asking the question of what does it mean to seek the Lord, I do not think that God is hiding from us. God is not playing a a cosmic game of hide-and-seek with us. And many of us operate as if that was the case, that, that God is playing this shell game with us where we have to constantly figure out where he, has, where he has gone so that we can find them. And that was not the case for the people in Amos' day at all. After all, God has sent a servant to speak to them. God was not lost. God was not hiding. The seeking... Here is the idea of pursuit. God was inviting his people into a wholehearted pursuit of himself. He's inviting them to omit the and, to pursue him and him alone. And part of that pursuit of God, that wholehearted pursuit, pursuit of God is seeking his ways because Amos goes on to say this in chapter 5 and verse 14 he's already said seek me and live seek the Lord and live and then he uses a similar phrase in verse 14 seek good and not evil that you may live and so the Lord the God of hosts will be with you as you have said so to the people that Amos was speaking to To seek God is to pursue good and not evil. It means that, and this is is something we've talked about throughout the the series, there's this point at which Amos uh, receives a vision of a plumb line, a line with a weight at the end that, that is held up to God's people to show them where they were not living in line with God's ways and God's word and his holy character. It was, it was meant to show them where they were crooked. And it was meant to show them where they were crooked uh, to show them how to truly live. How to ex- truly experience the good life as we've seen from the book of Titus. And to seek God is to pursue good and not evil. It means that we invite the plumb line. We invite God showing us where we are not living in line with his standards and expectations so that we can truly find our joy in him. Now, it just so happens that this is right in line with something that Jesus once said in Matthew chapter 6 in verse 33. This is a passage of scripture that will be familiar to many of you. But Jesus said in Matthew 6 and verse 33, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. What are the all these things? 
It's, it's the and. See, that comes in the context of, of Jesus saying something about let, do not lay up for yourselves treasures here on earth where moth corrupts and where thieves break through and steal. Jesus was not saying don't have a savings account. Jesus was not saying don't invest in your retirement. Jesus was not saying any of those things, but Jesus is talking about the location of your heart. What Jesus is constantly trying to do to us who live in a world in which that which is that which is temporary, that which is temporal seems far more real than the transient things that the Bible says are eternal. Jesus is tr- constantly trying to break us of that and say, yes, you must live wisely in the here and now, but don't plant your heart here. Because we live in a world where everything can and will eventually be taken from you. Eventually, even our lives themselves will be taken from us. And so Jesus warns us, don't invest so heavily here. Invest in eternal things where a thief cannot break through and steal and where moth and rust don't corrupt. These are some of the, the all the things that could be added to us. And then in the next section, Jesus moves on from talking about where our hearts are and where our treasure is to another, to another thing that is near and dear to our hearts, a topic that's near and dear to our hearts, and that is our anxiety about our provisions for ourselves. I suspect that not one of us went through this week without experiencing some level of anxiety about something that you need. It's probably not the, along the lines of the things that, that Jesus was talking about because Jesus says, hey, don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or what you're going to wear or where you're going to stay. Most of us, by God's grace, have those needs covered and yet we constantly have a, a, an anxiety sometimes about the future. Where will my provision come from if I lose my health? Where will my provision come from if I lose my spouse? Where will my provision come from if my investments do not come through? Where will my provision come from? And Jesus says, don't worry about those things. I'm the God who makes sure that all the things that you don't think about and worry about run on time. The lilies of the field are clothed. The birds are given food. And if God is able to care about all of those things, don't you think he cares about you? Don't you think he knows what provisions he's going to make for you if the worst happens? You don't have to live this way. You don't have to constantly be strategizing about where the next thing is going to come from. Jesus is telling you that you can actually rest easy. Then he comes to our verse, which is really one of the linchpins of the whole thing. 
because there's this paradox. If we, if we seek life, we lose it, <laughs> okay? And so, but many of us are testing that paradox out. And so Jesus says, no, what you actually need to do is seek first the kingdom of God, which means when Jesus is talking, he's not saying the kingdom of God, it's, it's, a, it's a hide and seek game if you can figure out where it is. No, the king has come and the kingdom is here. And so Jesus, when Jesus says seek first the kingdom of God, he's saying pursue first, make your top priority in life to pursue the kingdom of God and everything else will be added to you. How would that revolutionize your life if you spent far more time pursuing the kingdom of God and his righteousness and far less time worrying about where the next whatever is coming from? That would absolutely revolutionize many of our lives. It's omitting the and. If we pursue the values of the kingdom, if we, by God's grace and through his spirit as followers of Jesus, work to live in line with the values of Christ's righteousness and his kingdom, if we seek those things first, we can be certain that everything else will be given to us as we need it. That's what it means to seek the Lord and live, to pursue now, that leaves, leads me to the second question that I wanted to ask. Why should we seek life in the Lord? Why should we seek life in the Lord? The answer, or one of the answers, that stands out in a particularly unique way in the book of Amos is because of the Lord's why should we seek life in God? One of the reasons is because he's got the power. If you're going to seek life in something, if you're going to invest in something that is immune from rust or moth or robbery, then you best be investing in something that has the power to uphold your trust. Am I right? And all throughout the book of Amos, there are references just sprinkled through of why God is trustworthy and the answers of why God is trustworthy are related to his power. And the point that Amos would make and Tozer would make and Jesus would make and the entirety of scripture would make is that God exclusively, God and God alone has the power to give us the life we long for. Now, we don't have time to look at all the references to God's power throughout this book. That's something that we'll do in part in our community groups as they meet tonight and throughout the week. We'll have a little bit of extra time there. But let me give you, uh, let me give you just one example from Amos chapter 5 where you're already at. Verses 8 and 9. The Bible is speaking of God says, he, he who made the Pleiades and Orion and turns deep darkness into the morning and darkens the day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the surface of the earth. The Lord is his name, who makes destruction flash forth against the strong, so that the destruction comes upon the fortress. 
I love the way that the Bible speaks of God's power here. We, and humanity, has, has been gazing for millennia at the night skies. And as we progress in time, technology has allowed us to see with greater and greater clarity the wonders that are there. Things that used to appear as as stars have now been revealed to be galaxies. And those galaxies are containing, uh, contain uh, billions and billions of other planets and stars, many things of which we will still never be able to see and never be able to travel to. And yet, God made them all. We named some of them, but God made them. He is the one that turns on the lights in the morning and turns them off at night when it is time for bed. He is the one who calls for the waters of of the sea and, and pours them out on the surface of the earth. He makes destruction flash against the strong. In fact, one of, the, one of Amos's favorite names for the Lord that appears multiple times, I think it refer, uh, appears not, at least nine times in the book, is the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies. So there are these references through, sprinkled throughout the book to the, uh, to the power of God. And so if you are looking for some sort of reassurance that, that life is really to be found in God, then look no further than his resume. Everything that is, he has done. And this is the God who invites us to seek him, to pursue him. But hear this. We seek him, we pursue him, not just because of his generalized acts of power, though those things are magnificent. We pursue him because those general acts of power have been employed on our behalf to rescue us. And in fact, that's exactly one of the points that Amos makes in chapter 2 and verse 10. Again, he's speaking for the Lord. And the Lord says also, it was I who brought you up out of the land of Egypt and led you 40 years in the wilderness to possess the land of the Amorite. So the point that the book of Amos is making is that God has done all of these wonderful things. He sets up his, his throne in the heavens. The earth are his footstools. He is able to call forth the winds from the four corners of the earth. He is able to make the constellations that we are able to see and name and far more. He's able to do all of these things, and yet he employs that power on behalf of his people in saving ways so that we might have life. So he reminds them, Amos reminds the people of God's greatest redemptive act to date, their deliverance from slavery in Egypt through miracle after miracle after miracle. The same stands true for us as well. God has not changed. He is still the one who causes the sun to rise and set. He is still the one who creates the wind. 
we still, as the old hymn says, sing the mighty power of God, and yet He has graciously employed His power on our behalf. Listen, for example, to Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. The Bible says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The people of Israel had enemies all about them. And there was an, a great enemy lurking in the wings, the Assyrian army, and it was only going to be about 50 years until the Assyrian army was going to completely overrun the northern kingdom, capture them, kill many of them, deport the rest, and leave the poorest in the land to maintain it. But as great as the Assyrian enemy was, we have been delivered from the greatest enemy. <laughs> that enemy has been referred to in the text that we just read as the domain of darkness. By default, we are born into that kingdom. We are born into the kingdom of darkness, what the Bible refers to as the domain of darkness. This is, this is the kingdom that is dirtied by the filth of sin. We are all stained by it. We all are sinners ourselves in word and thought and deed, and we go through life living in this domain, this kingdom of darkness, where so, many, so much evil and wickedness reigns. And there is no escaping this kingdom on our own. We are powerless through our own efforts at, at self-betterment. We are powerless at our own uh, uh, experiments of world betterment. I mean, there has, been, there has been experiment after experiment after experiment of different sort of ideologies of what can make this world a better place. And one of the most recent experiments has been naturalistic humanism. There is no heaven above no, hell below, that's going to, if we could just imagine it and make it so, then it would be a great place. Then we could all fill out our potential. And look where it's gotten us. Nazism is popular again. You'd think enlightened people wouldn't be able to go down that path. Every single human endeavor to escape the clutches of the domain of darkness have fallen short through every culture, in every civilization, in every time. And not only are all cultures and civilizations unable to escape this, but there are no, there are no uh, quick runners that are able to escape it as individuals. We are all trapped in the kingdom of darkness unless someone enables our escape. Unless there is someone who has the power to conquer the kingdom of darkness. And the Bible tells us that this is exactly what Jesus Christ has done in his body on the cross. 
at the cross, a death blow was dealt to the kingdom in darkness. And though we are still experiencing its last gasps, it is going to end. And you are no longer a citizen of it. In him, this domain-defeating Jesus, we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. We're going to escape. And we are going to experience the fullness of Christ's kingdom. Why should we seek life in the Lord? Why should, you, why should you put all your eggs in that basket? That's the only hope you've got. And Jesus is the only one who has the power to do it. There's a third question that we need to ask. What does it mean to live? What does it mean to live? That might seem like a pretty straightforward question. Thank you. We've all got that one. For the people in Amos' day, judgment's coming. Prophets are sent to warn the people that judgment is on its way. Okay, there's, there's a light at the end of the tunnel, and it's a train. So they're being, they're being warned about this. There was a very real chance that many of the people who were hearing what Amos had to say were going to lose their lives or whose children would lose their lives in this Assyrian invasion. But I think that God had more in mind than simply escaping the loss that was coming. That was certainly part of it. But what God really wanted for his people was to truly live in the present. Now, why would I say that? Why would I say that God doesn't just want them to escape the Assyrian invasion? That God doesn't want them just to escape their loss of life. So he's saying, escape the invasion and you'll you'll be able to keep your lives. Why do I say that? Because... One of the things that that Amos has to say on God's behalf is is that uh, seeking the Lord means seeking good and not evil. In fact, in verse 15, it means hating evil and loving good and establishing justice in the gate, the kind of justice that the end of chapter says will roll down uh, like a waterfall from a mountain, uh, a righteous stream. What, what God wants for them is not simply to escape death. What God was calling his people into was real life with him. A life that was reflected in his righteousness being lived out among his people, his character infusing their society and in their a- interactions in the courts and in the marketplace, and in all the places where life is lived out. This is what God desires for them. 
He's calling them into the experience of righteousness. This is exactly, I think, something that Jesus was saying in John chapter 10. In John chapter 10, Jesus says why he came. He says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus came that you might have life and have it abundantly. When Jesus says that he came that you and I might have life and have it abundantly, yes, he is, he is talking about the escaping of eternal death. Yes, he is talking about life with him eternally. Yes, he is talking about all of those things, but Jesus wasn't just talking about something to be experienced or escaped in the future. Jesus was talking about something now. Jesus was telling us, Jesus is telling us, that there is an abundant experience of life in him that can be your present possession on Tuesdays too. Why else does he give us his spirit? Why else does he pour out his spirit into our hearts so that we can feel and know and be assured of his love? Why is it the spirit that helps us pray because we don't know how to pray exactly as we ought and so the spirit groans on our behalf with things that maybe we don't even understand what is it enables us that to do right things even though everything in us is crying out against them what is the strength or the power that enables to do that it's the spirit of christ helping us live abundantly Jesus does not just redeem you for the future. He doesn't redeem you and then put you on ice and say, hold that thought till you die or I come back. Jesus is right now infiltrating the domain of darkness He is right now infiltrating the darkest part of your heart, beginning the work of redemption and restoration as you now live fully reconciled to God and able to begin to get a taste of life as it was meant to be. That's what it means, I think, when we experience the gracious invitation to seek the Lord and live. Jesus is inviting you this morning to omit the and. What is the and for you that the Spirit is asking you to cross out? There's no point in us meeting here and me yammering on if the word of God 
that is graciously given to us is not directly applied to our hearts if we do not receive the Spirit's work. What is the and that you are struggling to let go of because you think the and is bringing you life? Or at the very least, well, it's your backup plan for life in case Jesus doesn't come through. This is not a simple exercise. This is called cutting the safety net and swinging out over it, believing that it's God and that's enough. That's what it means to seek the Lord and live. It's an act of faith. But I'm telling you, because the Bible tells us this, it's actually the only way to live. The other ways of live harm ourselves and others. They do not deliver what they promise. The safety net of the and will keep you from the experience of God that he is inviting you into. We've got to close this morning. But let me just say a few things in closing. I want you to think with me for a moment about why this invitation to seek the Lord and live is such a gracious invitation. To do that, I want to share a verse with you from the book of Romans. The Apostle Paul, here in Romans chapter 10, is quoting the prophet Isaiah, who we've already heard from this morning, earlier in our time of worship. But the Bible says this in Romans chapter 10 and verse 20, Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? If I go looking for my keys, which I frequently do, or my phone, or the TV remote, which is the most looked for item, I go looking for those things, I find them. The TV remote's not going to find itself. And yet, the Bible says, God says, I've been found by those who weren't even seeking me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. And this is, of course, something that could be developed at great length. But the headline is simply this. Our seeking God is always a result of him first seeking us. In fact, when Jesus creates this, wor- this, this deliverance from the domain of darkness and transfers us into the kingdom of his dear son, Jesus does not just set up shop at the corner and hope that we might stop by. No. He says in Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. 
Christ did not just come to make salvation available. He came to pursue sinners. And if there is any shred of seeking in you, it is because you have been sought. Because Jesus recovers lost things. And God is found by people who just aren't even looking for him. So let me say this to somebody here. Who may not truly know Christ. I want to try to make the good news of the gospel as clear to you as I possibly can this morning. The Apostle Paul, who we've already talked about, is preaching a sermon in Acts chapter 17 to a bunch of people who are, have no Christian background whatsoever. He's, he's, like, he's like the guy standing up on a five-gallon bucket at the corner preaching through a megaphone, kind of. And he's talking to them about this unknown God. And there's something that he says to them that's really interesting, that if you don't know Christ, you're not sure that you know Christ, I want you to hear. He says in Acts 17, verse 26, And he that's God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God, and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. And then he goes on to say this, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. That's called power. That's called redemptive, rescuing power. The proof of what Paul was saying is that Jesus Christ in time and space rose from the dead by the power of God, which is why Paul says he now commands all people everywhere, if you're seeking for God, if there is even a shred of seeking in your heart, what do I do? God commands all men everywhere to repent. Repent of your sins that have separated you from God. Return to the Lord. Put your faith, your trust, your belief and hope in the one who has shown he has earned the right to be trusted through the resurrection of the dead and be saved. You, this morning, can be delivered from the kingdom of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of the son he loves. Seek the Lord where you are sitting right now and I promise you will live. Let's pray.
Lord, one of the things that we want to do this morning as we respond to the word that's been preached is that we want to ask you to help us leave something behind today. Each one of us has an and that we know needs to be admitted, omitted. And Lord, our difficulty omitting it is that it's our safety net. It's, it's our just in case. And so Lord, I pray that those of us who are followers of Jesus this morning that you would give us the courage to just by faith cut loose that safety net right now. That it would fall to the floor at our seats and that we would walk out of here in faith without them. I pray that you'd help us to believe that if our lives are the thing that we're most concerned about pursuing, we'll actually lose them that if we're willing to let loose of our lives and pursue you, we'll find them. Lord, if there is someone here this morning and they have felt like they have been in the dark, grasping, I pray that you would turn the lights on. That they would see that the God they seek was actually not far from them and was in fact seeking them. Give them faith to repent and believe in the risen Jesus today. Amen.